morning. My name is Christy, and I've been coming with my husband to FOF for almost five years now. Um, if you don't know me, it's probably because I have a tendency to hide back in the tech booth. I'm a little bit shy, and the tech booth is kind of my little hideout back there. Um, when I got the schedule from Dave back in September, I saw that we were doing Psalms for eight weeks. I was really excited because I love Psalms. It's my favorite book in the Bible. And then I saw that we had earmarked this particular week for prayers personal and somebody giving their personal story. And so I offered up my story to Dave. And he's probably asked me eight times since then if I'm still willing to give my story, and obviously the answer has been yes, because here I sit, nerves and all, ready to give my story. Um, just so you know, going forward, I'm extremely nervous, so if I'm stumbling, that's why. My story starts out very rough. To begin with, I was born with a genetic depression disorder that went undiagnosed until I was an adult. So as a child, I was just labeled moody and it becomes even more difficult as I got into my teen years and particularly around the age of 13. It's my hope as I go forward this morning and I tell my very messy story to you that my words would impact you um, and that the words of David that I've chosen for this morning would have an impact on you in a very positive and uplifting way. Um, also, just as a side note to continue our weird songs, um, I have some lyrics that will just kind of be thrown up on the screen to go along with each section that I feel fit with the section and have had kind of an impact on my story in my life. Well, I'm so glad you're telling your story, Christy, and I know it's going to be a blessing to a lot of people, but I know it's hard for you. Um, and you said around 13 things went from bad to worse. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened? Yep. Um, so. At about 13 years old, um, my dad, my sister, and I were at a house that my cousin had been fixing up, um, and then we'd got out to dinner, and we were saying our goodbyes, like normal, you know, hugs, kisses, whatever, and when I got my hug from my cousin, it was off. It wasn't right, and I knew it wasn't right, and then when he went to give me my kiss goodbye, he whispered something in my ear that was really quiet and just kind of for me, and it made me very uncomfortable, and I knew it was inappropriate. So when we got in the car, I told my dad about this thing that had happened, and my dad kind of brushed it off, and he said, oh, he's just playing with you, and I kind of find that odd because my dad meant one thing, but that's exactly what my cousin was doing, was he was playing with me, and that's what he would do for the next six years of my life, was play with me. It sounds like um, it was a pretty devastating moment, but how often were you with him? Was he a big part of your life? How much time did you spend with him? Spent a lot of time with my cousin. My parents had helped raise my cousin, and he was 16 years older than us, so he was around a lot. Um, he was always around at holidays, at birthdays. I remember him being there as a child, playing Legos with us, playing Ghost Ghost in the Graveyard. Um, and then growing up as we got older, a little bit older, because he was 16 years older than us, he was an adult when I was a child. And so he would offer to take us on extended weekends. He would offer to take us for weeks at a time over the summer. And what insane parent would pass that opportunity up to get the kids out of the house? So they would 
he would have my sister and I and my brother for extended weekends, and that went well into my teen years. So he had a lot of time with you. Um, can you talk a little bit about what happened with you and your cousin? Um, yeah, my cousin, first and foremost, was a master of manipulation. Um, he was um, somebody who psychologically was manipulative. He was very good at transference of guilt. He was very good at keeping secrets from my parents. He was very good at getting me alone in a house full of people. And every time he got me alone, he would molest me. And then he would make me feel like it was something that I had wanted. And so he would kind of keep me under his thumb that way. He told me from the start when I was young that if I told anybody, I would destroy the family. And that's how he kept me from telling anybody. And then when I got into my like sophomore year, kind of that middle teen years, and I started to realize that he was the one destroying the family and I confronted him on it. He made sure to keep me under his control by telling me that he would make sure that my parents knew that I was the one who had done something wrong and that they would believe him over me. So he kind of managed to constantly keep this power over me to the point that when I was 16, he was able to walk into a room, stand in the door, and look at me, and I would get up and go to him knowing full well what would happen. And so in teen years, they're hard enough as it is, and you have all of this stuff going on and uh, abuse, feeling very alone. How, how did this affect you in relationships with your friends and how you did your life? Um, it actually had a very huge impact on my relationship as my cousin kind of stole my self-esteem. I managed to get myself into a series of very unhealthy relationships with guys, one of which was with a 21-year-old when I was 16 who was an alcoholic. He was abusive both um, emotionally and um, physically. And then one night he pinned me to a bed and raped me. And I was naive enough to stay with him even after he had raped me. Um, it impacted friendships where at first I started trying to reach out to friends hoping that maybe I could help and they would kind of run screaming from me, not knowing quite what to do with that type of information. So I learned very quickly to just kind of put a smile on my face and walk into school and act like nothing was wrong. And so even though you had no outside support, inside things were falling apart, how, how did you deal with this? What happened internally and externally as you were dealing with all this pain? Well, if you bring together rape, sustained abuse, a genetic depression disorder that hadn't been diagnosed, throw that all in a blender, what you end up with is a self-harming suicidal teenager, which is exactly what I was, and I had no one to talk to, and I had no way out. And yet, you're here today. Things seem a lot different as far as your journey and your healing. What happened to start you on a road of healing and towards something that took you to a better place? Um, at 19, I became a Christian. Um, I sat down with a pastor a youth pastor that I had met who told me exactly what it meant to accept Christ into my life, and so I did. I gave my life over to Christ. I remember driving home that night and being so excited. My whole life had changed. Nothing was gonna, ever going to be the same. I just cried tears of joy at this change in my life. I got home, got up that next morning, went to my mom all excited, told her about it, and she looked at me and said, it's a phase. You'll get over it.
I'm now 44 and I'm still waiting to get over it. <laughs> well, that's a good thing. <laughs> so, Christy, with everything you went through those early years and those teenage years, tell us what the love of God did. What was it like for you to experience that? The first couple of years were amazing for me. I was completely on fire for God, and the fact that I was a shell of a human being didn't matter to me because I was filled to overflowing with God's love, and I wanted everybody I met to know about Christ and, and this person who had completely changed my life to the point that I had wanted to go on a missionary trip to Spain. I wanted to go and help every single person I could um, I had found a joy that I had never in my life experienced. And this place of happiness, and I was happy, and I just wanted to live in happy. And I thought I could live in happy. But unfortunately, you can't outrun your past. And so as the past started catching up with you, tell us a little bit about what that was like. So this is kind of where my story intersects with Psalm 6. And Psalm 6 is a psalm by David that I really kind of relate to. In the first verse of Psalm 6, it says, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. And as I started my journey of healing, this is really what I felt was happening, was that God was rebuking me in his anger and disciplining me in his wrath. I had been dragging around with me, even from the beginning of being a Christian, this painful past, not to mention a depression disorder and a newly acquired post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, my first reaction as I began to heal was self-blame, that I was to blame for everything that I, had happened. And the more I faced what had happened to me as a teenager, the more I started to fall into darkness. And the more I started to fall into darkness, the more I felt like my cries to God were falling on deaf ears. Um, I really, truly believed that God wasn't listening to me because of my sins, sins like self-harm, like suicidal ideologies, promiscuity, sins like letting my cousin control me, just thinking that somehow being raped was a sin, um, enjoying my cousin's touch as a teenager. I, I had a list in my mind of sins that is longer than the aisle of the sanctuary. You know, you mentioned Psalm 6, and it is a really powerful verse. Um, and it's meant a lot to you. I want to read two through five. It says, Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name and who praises you from the grave. That's a really powerful, deep First, how, how did that impact you? How did that minister to you? Or where did God speak to you in that? Um, I really connect with that um, in that part of my life because I had felt like I was trying everything to get God to listen to me and turn to me. I was 
praying with everything I had, worshiping as hard as I could. I was screaming to the heavens for God to hear me. I wanted the pain and the darkness gone. I wanted the memories that I had in my head erased. I wanted the suicidal ideologies just gone. I, I didn't want any of this darkness that was inside of me there. And I was so angry that I was lashing out at the people I loved the most, the people I was closest to. Um, and no matter what I did, I seemed to stay in this place of shame and guilt that I had been in as a teenager, even though I was well removed from the people who had abused me. And God God was nowhere in my world. He didn't care that my bones were in agony or that my soul was in anguish. And so I stopped believing in his unfailing love. So on top of all of that, you've got this loss of your connection with God. And I know you talked a little bit about your faith in your community and your church. What was it like for you to turn to your Christian friends or to your church to get support or to help you find your way back? When I first started turning to Christian believers around me, they didn't know what to do with me. Um, Again, the more I went into my healing, the less connected I felt to God. And as I tried to reach out to people, Christians around me responded to me with, you just need to pray harder. You just need to have more faith. And that I, I had a really hard time with that because I was already praying as hard as I possibly could. Or even worse, they had pity on me. And I didn't want pity. I was quite the expert at throwing my own pity party. Thank you. I didn't need pity from them. Um, And so I started to look at Christians around me almost as an enemy against me, a foe against me. Um, And so I can really relate when David says in verses 6 and 7, I'm worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weary with sorrow. They fail me because of all my foes. It's like I'm crying and crying and crying and all these people that should be supporting me were just becoming my enemies. Um, And as as I began to understand that what had happened to me wasn't my fault... I became more angry at the people around me because they didn't seem to understand that you don't just wake up one day standing in the light with all of your memories and all of your pain gone, that it's a journey. Yeah. So finding your place with feeling distant from God, no support from church or Christians, um, something must have changed because here you are, not angry and mad at us here and serving (laughs) and clearly connected to God. Tell, Tell me a little bit about what changed. There are actually kind of two major things that really turned me back to God and helped me see him. And the first major thing was forgiveness. And I'm not talking about the little forgiveness, the don't let the sun go down on your anger or your husband left the toilet seat up at 2 a.m. forgiveness. I am talking about the type of forgiveness that comes when somebody has truly deeply hurt you and you don't know how to let go. Um, I have been walking around holding on to anger towards particularly my cousin for so long that it had turned into this need for vengeance. I wanted to figure out how to hurt him the way he had hurt me. 
And I didn't understand how badly that that was destroying me inside. And I needed to learn that what I could do to him didn't compare to what God is going to do when my cousin and my rapist stand before God. I love the way David puts it when he says, all my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish and they will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. This is David just proclaiming an amazing truth. When those who have hurt God's children stand before his throne, they will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. His justice is so much bigger than anything we can imagine doing to somebody who has hurt us. When you manage to let go of somebody who has deeply hurt you, betrayed you, stolen your identity, and crushed you, you finally get to move forward. So forgiveness was a huge one for you, but you said there were two really important things that happened. What was the other one? The other one is seemingly insignificant, but actually very huge. It happened one day we were at the chapel. It was just a regular Sunday morning. I was worshiping, doing some sort of song that Mark had been leading. I don't even remember what it was. We got to the chorus of whatever song it was, and I heard God say to me, I am here. I've never left. And those words just resonated through me, and I just started weeping because for the first time in a very long time, I realized that despite the thought that God had gone away, he never had, that he had been standing next to me. Um, so you felt like um, forgiveness was a big one and realizing that God had never left you, that he really was there and he had never disappeared. Yes. Yeah. So I'm guessing, you know, it's all better now, all the despair, all the problems, everything, you know, it's all better. How, how happy and wonderful and unicorn-like is your life now? <laughs> um, unicorns, hmm. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, life is definitely not rainbows and unicorns. Um, I learned this fall that I have a post-traumatic stress disorder that doesn't just magically go away. I manage it with amazing grace until I don't. And then God and I walk through that darkness together. And that's what healing is. It's a journey of walking through the darkness together until I step back into that light. And sometimes when I walk through that darkness, it's feeling like I'm by myself and having to turn and remember that God is standing right there. Um, healing is a lifelong process and God doesn't just take away my depression. He doesn't just take away my post-traumatic stress disorder. He hasn't just removed memories from my brain. They're always there. But he walks with me on my journey. Prayer is personal. Each and every one of us has our own story, and each and every one of us has probably had a time in our life when we've prayed and we've felt that God hasn't answered us. But the reality is, is that even in those times when we feel that God hasn't answered us, 
He is always standing right there next to us. And I know this because in all of that time, he's always been right there and he's always there when I turn back. Thank you so much, Christy. That was amazing. Um, you guys, one of the things that Christy really wanted to get across is that she felt um, there's a lot of people who struggle with the kinds of things that she has, and a lot of times the church doesn't feel safe or doesn't feel like a place where you can talk openly about um, shame or guilt or even scary and messy things that have happened or maybe feeling like God isn't there anymore. And so um, she's very open if you guys want to talk mm -hmm. to her, if anyone has a story they want to share or something they've struggled with or just give her a hug and thank her for sharing. She's going to be hanging around here afterwards. Additionally, if this has triggered something in you or has triggered um, something that you're struggling with, feel free to seek out myself or um, anyone else, you know, who works here. If you, you know, need to, to pray with somebody, we'll be here afterwards as well. Um, I'm going to close us in prayer, and um, there is a special song that the band is going to sing that Christy chose to represent a little bit of how she has felt, and it is sort of a, a musical representation of the journey. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I ask that you would Take the words and the intention and the motive and the heart of what happened today and use it for your glory. Use it for healing and for unity. I pray that Christy would be protected today from any attacks because she's been so vulnerable here, um, that you would keep her safe and in your arms and feeling strong, and that you would protect um, anyone who is struggling and feeling emotionally on edge or, um, that they're, or struggling. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the people here who accept and love, and this is a safe place. And um, we thank you for all you have done and will do for us. In your precious name I pray, amen. Amen. is because we want to know each other. We want to understand that being a Christian doesn't mean that our lives are perfect mm -mm. or that we don't have to, oh, I don't have to deal with things. So this is, as Julie said, a safe place. This is a place where you're loved. This is a place where you're accepted. There's a saying that says you're only as sick as your secrets. So if you have a story that relates with Christy and you haven't shared it, I want to encourage you to step out in faith and trust the love that's in this room and that's above. If you're someone that heard Christy's story today and you know you did that to somebody, redemption for you too if you're someone that is moved by this and you're thinking what can I do to help how can I be a part I'm not smart enough I, I don't know enough I'm not educated enough if God's calling you say yes ultimately life is hard it's hard and we can't make it on our own but in his strength and his power, 
takes what's old and he makes it new. Things better than before you reconcile, you resurrect. 